0: Hey, everybody. We have hit episode 20 in the ROI podcast, and we have all of you to thank for the success we've seen so far. And in this episode, we're going to show you some of the greatest insights we've heard since recording this podcast. Enjoy. Welcome back, everybody. We are so glad you are listening to the ROI podcast presented by the Kelly School of Business, here on the IUPUI campus in downtown Indianapolis. I'm Shane Simmons, and we've got something special for you today. This is episode 20, and so we're going to be sharing some of the best stories and insights that we've received from experts who've been on the podcast. So we've got things from handling a bully in the workplace, to starting your own business, to leading others. I mean, this podcast is going to be jam-packed with value from some of these previous episodes. And I'm really excited about this one. So we're just going to go ahead and we're going to get right into it, starting with Kelly Professor of Management and Business Law, Charlotte Westerhouse renfro who talks about handling a bully in the
1: workplace. Check it out. We're taught in business school and actually in society in general, we're taught to fight back as hard as we can and to counter these people. We talked about
2: whether or not workplace bullying is still an issue, which the data suggests. But it's also important to realize the way we are traditionally taught to handle a bully. And Charlotte
1: explains that here. When I think of a person that probably taught a lot of men to fight back in the day when I was younger, I'm talking back in the day, that was Popeye.
2: (laughs) Popeye
1: always took care of olive oil. And when the big bully came up, fought back. He's just an overgrown phony baloney. And olive oil did not. So our culture kind of teaches that if you see a bully, you fight back. And sometimes it even can draw a crowd of people supporting the fighting back. When you use force in any situation, whether dealing with a bully or in a negotiation situation, typically if you use force, the other side has to use more force. And back and forth, and it just escalates, blows up, very disruptive. So what I suggest in handling a situation is first, focus on your mindset. Typically, people act aggressively When they feel threatened, and they are not threatened from bullies, they are actually threatened from people who are skilled, who are liked, who are esteemed. These people are the most frequent targets.
0: And one of the things that stood out to me in this episode was Charlotte's story of Muhammad Ali fighting George Foreman. And the way that Ali used that rope-a-dope technique that she's going to talk about. It finally wore Foreman down, and that's
1: how she says you can handle a difficult person in the workplace. And if I can take you back in time at one of the most infamous heavyweight fights of all time, and it involved Muhammad Ali going after George Foreman. Now, Muhammad Ali knew that George Foreman at that time had a reputation for being a bully of a fighter, being aggressive and hitting upon hitting upon hitting. Getting away
2: with it. Getting away with it. The left hand taken on the side of Ali's cheek.
1: So what Muhammad Ali decided to do was to rope-a-dope, go back into the ropes, cover his body and face in a defensive mode, and just let George Foreman go after him, round after round after round. George Foreman got more and more frustrated. It wasn't working, but more importantly, Muhammad Ali knew that George Foreman's frustration would not only affect his mind, but his body and his punches got weaker and weaker, and all of a sudden, George Foreman was no longer a bully. He was too weak, and guess who became the aggressor? Muhammad Ali, who decided to hold back and use the holding back as an offense to defeat George Foreman. Muhammad Ali has done it. The great man has done it. So now, let me translate that to what you can do in the workplace if you're being attacked by a bully. First of all, never underestimate the power of holding back. And as the bully gets weak, strike back with kindness. Even if you can't convert the bully with this technique, you can shift the negative tension that the bully is creating to positive empowerment because you're going to attract and enlist most certainly a team of allies, supporters, and advocates who are totally impressed with your restraint and your strategy. These individuals will champion and advance your cause in a way that you could not do by yourself.
0: Next, let's talk about entrepreneurship with Kelly Professor Kim Saxon.
3: I do think that there are a lot of entrepreneurs out there who just don't know where to start or if they get started, how to pick up the pace
0: we know that a ridiculous amount of startups fail. It's always the bad news of the startups that we hear about. But with Kim's latest research with her husband, Todd Saxton, they found something that could help a startup thrive, and it actually doesn't involve capital. So, of
3: course, you're always asking for money. But, you know, sometimes it's not the dollars that you need. It's the connections that you need. And we found that the amount of help that they got that they could get people to uh, say they wanted to help them, um, made a difference in survival.
0: So according to Kim, it wasn't the money that made the biggest impact on long-term sustainability, but it was
2: help? Yes, because help could be anything from mentorship, a testimonial, the intangibles. But it's those things That left the longest impact.
3: So there is a funny quote from a song that says, you know, if you ask for money, you get help. If you ask for help, you get money.
2: Ask for money
0: and get advice. Ask for advice, get money twice. That really actually plays out. (laughs) Ask for advice, get money. Ask for money, get advice. Remember that. That is key, the Saxton say, to running a successful startup from the get-go. Okay, let's pivot to tech. Some quick stats for you. For those of us here in Indianapolis, we know the tech industry has exploded. In fact, tech jobs across the country are up 68% since 2006. But when you have massive growth, there comes talent shortages. But one tech company we spoke with on the north side of Indianapolis aren't having to deal with workforce shortage at all, despite the fact they've grown 300%
4: in the past year. Here's how EduSource does it. So we're a custom software development company. Uh, we're primarily in the .NET framework. Uh, a lot of web applications. We've done everything from um, clinical trial software, project management software, all the way to, uh, we have some firms that have um, Excel spreadsheets that they would like to get uh, online in multi-user, uh, including a lot of uh, mobile applications as well. So I manage a local project that was both, ma- both being worked on internally and had overseas uh, resources, about 15 of them from overseas, uh, both uh, Eastern Europe and India.
2: Outsourcing is very common in the tech industry
4: because talent is cheap. I think that's one reason. Uh, I think the other is we always, most of IT doesn't, isn't willing to invest a year or two into the development and training process. They want to fix now. And so as a result, they look for companies that can offer that. But I'm finding that outsourcing doesn't often offer that experience. Uh, and so I think that's where we run into this this reason why we're, we're running overseas is because we're not bringing them up fast enough here uh, to keep up with the demand. I mean, what the industry's growing at what eight to twelve percent annually, which is just crazy. Then one day, the first signs of EduSource sprouted.
2: So that was
0: the aha moment.
2: The aha moment.
4: One evening I was sitting down and I was doing some code review over the code that I had received from uh, overseas. At the same time then later that evening I had to grade some pro- some programs for my students from the class that I was adjunct teaching. And um, I was surprised that the sophomore uh, quality, the code that I got from the sophomores in my university class was significantly better than the code that I was getting from overseas. Uh, and that's where the idea kind of came from.
2: The possibilities began running through Jason's mind. Uh,
4: so instead of saying, um, hey, let's outsource overseas, I thought, what if we edu-sourced to local university students? Uh, they're obviously very capable of doing this work. Uh, so that started the journey. Uh, so here we are now. Uh, see, it's been probably about six years, seven years since that time frame.
0: All right, Phil. So you went to Edusource. You checked it out. Let's get this straight here for a second. EduSource isn't outsourcing the talent overseas, but instead to college students? Is is this
2: like an internship? You know, Shane, kind of. But it's more intense and for much longer than the traditional internship. Jason is really bringing the internship into the 21st century.
4: So the way we do this is we start off their sophomore year and the fall of their sophomore year, we have an interview process. We're different from other, other groups around that would, that would teach you how to program. That's not what we're doing. We're teaching you how to build professional software. Um, so we do that through a mentorship model. So we put them through, a, it's about a three, four week interview process so we bring them in and we we take them from all different schools and we'll take four to six people and put them in a room with a whiteboard and have them problem solve together as a team uh, because we want to see the interaction not that interested in the solution um, because very seldom does anybody ever write code without google sitting next to you but uh, so i don't really care about that but what i care about is how are they communicating with one another uh, because that's one of those key values i think differentiates a local team from an outsource team. Uh, one of the big problems of outsourcing overseas is communication. Some of that's cultural, some of that is, is just the distance. Uh, we need to fix that, and one of the ways we fix that is by really identifying highly communicative people.
0: So EduSource has really flipped the script upside down. And what I love about this is that he had that moment, that epiphany, and turned that idea into a successful business model despite what others are doing and struggling with. Jason is a leader in his space, there's no doubt about it, and great leadership can ultimately determine the trajectory of a firm or individual's success. And that leads me into Val Grubb, a Kelly School MBA grad who tackled the subject of managing millennials, which has proven to be difficult for many companies. But she broke down exactly how you do this and how you can keep millennials in your company longer, expand that retention rate, and keep them performing better and better.
5: In 2015, millennials surpassed Gen X to become the largest generation in the American workforce. And early this year, millennials surpassed baby boomers as the nation's largest living generation. And at the present time, by 2020, millennials are going to be 50% of the workforce. So more than 60% of millennials. A stay in jobs less than three years. They have all of the elements of work ethic. Um, they're honest, they're diligent, uh, they're trustworthy, they're dedicated, they're determined. They just go about it differently. They don't want to be sitting in an office for eight hours or nine hours or ten hours a day. They want a manager who understands that, hey, I got a life here, so I don't mind checking. Work email from home. But oh, by the way, if I want to check my Instagram account at the office, I don't want you having an issue with that either. When we think about how you're going to harness this talent is, is certainly I would say just figure out that flexibility equation. Focus on results versus how or where they get done.
0: Again, you see the trend of leadership and the impact that it has on some individuals. Well, sometimes, though, leaders come under fire. People mess up. I mean, it happens. We're all human. And that's something that Kelly Professor Liz Malatesta talked about when it came to Uber's former CEO, Travis Kalanick.
3: Uber, obviously, is a tremendously successful company, offered a service that revolutionized the marketplace. They also had a culture where the CEO really thought of HR as just being there to recruit. That was their only purpose, and he really didn't want to hear from them otherwise. Unfortunately, what happened was they started having claims of sexual harassment, complaints within the organization. A lot of managers don't realize that you are legally obligated to investigate claims of sexual harassment. You can't just ignore those. But they kind of, um, they kind of did. And they would tell people, well, it's his first offense or he's a high performer, even though they had numerous complaints on the same manager.
2: And Liz says... This kind of culture can manifest in highly successful startups, as Uber was, because the founders of these companies can sometimes be blinded by their perception of the culture versus what's really going on, versus the reality that for whatever reason, they can't see or they cannot accept.
3: The culture they allowed to uh, develop was a reflection of what the CEO thought the culture should be. And that's... That can be a problem, especially in entrepreneurial type organizations. People who are successful entrepreneurs are successful because they've got great ideas, they've got drive, they're risk takers, they do all sorts of great things. And sometimes when they look at these other HR type issues, they just give it short shrift and think it doesn't really matter because we're not that kind of company. We're bold and different and those kinds of things. People want to feel that they matter in the workplace. They want to feel that their contributions are valued.
0: And there you have it. That was just a very small amount of highlights we've pulled together in these last 20 episodes. And we're really excited to bring 20 more and then 20 more after that. And so we'll be back next week with fresh content that will help you reach your personal and professional goals from managing your time to buying your health care. We're going to be hitting on a wide range of topics that's going to help out so many people. So be sure to tune in, subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review on iTunes. We would love to hear from all of you. So until next week, we'll talk to you soon with some brand new episodes of the ROI podcast. Take care.